and welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista, and I am here with my congested husband, Zach. <laughs> I, I do have a cough drop in my mouth. Guys, they have Walmart brand of Ricola, and it's changing my life as we speak because he'll only buy ricola if it's an off if it's an off print <laughs> anyway excuse the sniffles yeah. here he's sounding much better today but hey in this episode this is episode seven um and we are studying second nephi one through five we're diving into second nephi uh, the famous story of nephi and his brothers in the wilderness has kind of ended uh, and now we move into some of the more doctrinally dense chapters of the Book of Mormon. In this particular episode, we are searching for truths that will wake us up spiritually. And we'll talk a lot more about that uh, right after we talk about our study tip first. And today we're going to take our study tip directly from Nephi. I think that's a pretty good person to, to get a study tip from. So we're going to, from the scripture block in 2 Nephi chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Nephi says, I write the things of my soul and many of the scriptures which are engraven upon the plates of brass. For my soul delighteth in the scriptures, and my heart pondereth them, and writeth them for the learning and the profit of my children. Behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, and my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. I like those. We think this is a great study tip to remember is, you know, we've talked a lot about studying and reading and all these other study tips, but I like his emphasis here on pondering the scriptures. We don't necessarily have to be reading to be studying. We can sit, we can listen, we can write or yes. think or pray. There are many elements to what we quote-unquote in the church refer to as our scripture study. Yeah. We almost titled this one, maybe we should just title it, if our previous study tips have been read the scriptures or ask questions or study scriptures, maybe this one is don't read or don't study. For just a minute, stop, pause the page, put a bookmark in, close the book, sit back, and think. Think about what this has to do with you. Think about what it has to do with your past and with your future. And in pondering the scriptures, maybe the Lord will be able to point things out to you that you're a little too busy to get when you're reading and marking. And allow you to delight in the scriptures and feel that delight that Nephi talks about. Okay. Well, with that study tip in mind, we're going to dive in. Um, and we're going to start in chapter 1. In these first couple of chapters of 2 Nephi, uh, Nephi includes uh, either letters or words from Father Lehi to some of his sons. Uh, interesting, Nephi doesn't include anything from Lehi to him, but in chapter 4, Nephi does include what, what has been termed his psalm, uh, his sorrowing for his own sin um, his rejoicing in the goodness of God and kind of his commitment to be better. In chapter one, uh, Lehi or Nephi includes Lehi's address to Laman and Lemuel, and there's a little bit of of uh, Zoram at the end. But we want to start in verse thirteen. Um, 
Lehi says to Laman and Lemuel, Oh, that ye would awake, awake from a deep sleep, yea, even from the sleep of hell, and shake off the awful chains by which ye are bound, which are the chains which bind the children of men, that they are carried away captive down to the eternal gulf of misery and woe. We want to talk today about how to wake up spiritually. And maybe we start that discussion by talking about what it is that puts us to sleep spiritually. Someone that I know recently conveyed to me their story of coming back to the church. And they explained that what happened to lead them away from the church wasn't anything drastic. Um, but the phrase that they used was, quote, we just fell asleep. Little things started to slip out of their lives. And when those little good things started to slip away, some of the little bad things started to slip in. And bit by bit, they fell asleep to spiritual things. And here this person is years later now coming back, now having awoken and realizing how gradual the process was and how painful it was. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking maybe you've fallen a little bit asleep, like we all do it sometimes, or maybe you're thinking about someone that you know and love that has fallen asleep and you want to know what you could do, what you could teach um, that might wake them up, that's the frame or the lens through which we're going to study the next couple of chapters. And to continue on with kind of that awaking, he says the same phrase again in verse 23. He says, Awake, my sons, put on the armor of righteousness, shake off the chains with which you are bound. And I kind of, just as you were talking about the waking up, I kind of like the shaking because sometimes to wake up, don't you have to like shake, shake your head a little? Like, uh, I got to wake up. If you're waking up kids, you got to shake them awake. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was kind of what I had pictured in my head. I like that. But, um, so he talks about putting on the armor of righteousness and the something that was repeated over and over again through these chapters as Lehi talks to his sons is keep my commandments, keep my commandments. Not only here in these chapters, you know, we this is a phrase we hear all the time in the Book of Mormon or often in the Book of Mormon is keep my commandments and you will prosper or we kept the commandments so we prospered. Um, and here we are. I think we wanted, we wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about that. Keep the commandments and you will prosper in the land. And as we talk about um, putting on that armor of righteousness through the, the commandments, of course the scripture that comes to mind is the scripture from Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God. And recently, in, well, a couple of years ago, I was at, we were in a meeting um, with Elder Kim B. Clark, who is the Commissioner of Church Education. And, and who is kind of a, a if it, is it possible to have like a, a church crush on a 70? Oh, geez. <laughs> he's at least yours, we're right? We're part of our, <laughs> I'm a, I think I'm the president of his fan club, maybe. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but this talk really had great impact on us. And this is kind of, this scripture was kind of the beginning of his story here. So I'm just going to share an experience that he shared. They were living a, a decent life. They thought they were doing good as church members, doing the things that they were supposed to do more to supposed to be doing. And one night he had a, a nightmare and it awoke him feeling anxious. Uh, awoke. Oh, hey. Wake. Good. 
perfect story. And as he, he said, he, he knelt down to pray and the words that came into his, his mind were from Ephesians chapter six, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness, wickedness in high places. And so the next day he went and looked up the rest of the scripture, which of course goes on to say, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he said, when he read this phrase, he felt quote, a powerful witness of the spirit that this was the answer to my prayers. I needed to put on the whole armor of God, every bit of it. And so he and his wife talked about really what this means practically for them. What does it mean to actually put on the whole armor of God? Because it sounds great and we use the analogy a lot, but what does it mean? And they came up with two questions. Um, and these are the ones I think that have had a powerful influence on us as well as we applied what he said here. The first one, what am I doing that I should stop doing? And the second, what am I not doing that I should start doing? We kind of thought about that as like, what are the things in my armor that are weakening me that I should take off? And what are the things that aren't yet a part of my armor that I need to put on in order to be strong? And I'll just say, I when we were sitting there in that meeting, you had an extremely emotional response to what Elder Clark was saying. That, that idea that we're fighting a war against unseen powers that are trying to destroy us. And if you want a wake-up thought, I think that's what Lehi means when he says, shake off these chains, awake and arise out of the dust, because we're not just trying to be better people because it's a good idea. We're fighting a war against an adversary who's bent on our destruction. I think that was the emphasis because I love, I love the analogy of the putting on the armor of God, but reading that for the, the first part of that, mm -hmm. where you talk about really who you're fighting against, this is not a war that we're fighting. Like you, well, you already said that. I think it's really important to, to emphasize that. That is why these commandments that we're given, they're, they're higher than just I need to read my scriptures. I need to pray. It's a higher connection that we're seeking for this armor. It elevates the position of obedience in our lives because oh, like it's adding mm -hmm. things to this armor that I absolutely need to have if I'm going to have any hope in winning a battle against the rulers of darkness and unseen powers and principalities. Yeah. And so those really practical questions of what am I doing that I should stop and what am I not doing that I should start become very essential, easy to answer, maybe, but really essential. Mm -hmm. Because the phrase that is used over and over again, and, and Lehi says it again here, he says, keep my commandments so that you can prosper in the land. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, there's kind of a literary thing that uh, is common in writers from the old world, and, and Nephi makes use of this as well. Um, scholars today call it antithetical parallelism. Go and impress your friends with that phrase. But the idea is that an author will say something and then say a sentence or a phrase that is parallel to that first phrase, but opposite. And so, for example, this phrase of keeping commandments and prospering the land uh, shows up really early in the Book of Mormon, First Nephi, uh, chapter two, verse twenty, and it is: "Inasmuch as you shall keep my commandments, you shall prosper in the land." 
And then verse 21, And inasmuch as my brethren, as thy brethren rebel against thee, they shall be cut off. And what I think we often miss is that antithetical parallelism means that the first phrase is supposed to be a direct opposite from the second phrase. So if the second phrase is, if you don't keep my commandments, you will be cut off from the presence of God. The first phrase has to mean, if you keep my presence, or if you keep my commandments, you will stay in the presence of God. To prosper means to be in the presence of God. To paraphrase, if you keep my commandments, I will be with you and I will make you, you successful. I'll make you win the war. If you don't keep my commandments, you're on your own. You're cut off from my presence and you've got to rely on your own strength, which isn't going to be enough. And we see the example of this... Um... Well, I don't even know. Antithetical <laughs> parallelism. Yeah, I would have got that way wrong. When in chapter 5, when the Nephites separate themselves, Nephi says in verse 10, And we did observe to keep the judgments and the statutes and the commandments of the Lord in all things. And the Lord was with us, and we did prosper exceedingly. I love that spin on what, what it really means to prosper, what God really is talking about. You will prosper because I am with you. You are in my presence. We are in communication. So the first point is obediently putting on the armor of righteousness keeps us in the presence of God and enables us to win the war against the rulers of darkness. And if you want a wake up principle, there it is. The second principle we want to look at comes from 2 Nephi chapter 2. And this is one of those really well-trodden chapters uh, in the church. It's one that I'm sure you have read, that you've had multiple lessons on. And so as I was looking at it, I was trying uh, to have that fresh and faithful perspective that we promise. Uh, and a couple of things came to mind. And so I want to do a 3-2-1 with 2 Nephi 2. Three misconceptions we have about this chapter. Three things we don't get quite right. Two things that we need to get right and then one finalizing principle. So, first of all, three things we don't quite get right. Number one, the first thing we don't get right about 2 Nephi chapter 2, about Lehi's address to Jacob, is that this is a chapter about Adam and Eve. A lot of times we go here and we read the verses about Adam fell that men might be, men are that they might have joy, or um, we use these verses to show the benefits of the fall, right? That if they hadn't fallen, they would have remained in the same state forever. But there are only eight verses about Adam and Eve in these chapters. Verses 18 to 25, and that's it. Out of 30-something. Out of 30-something, 30 out of 30 verses in yep, the chapter, 30. there's only eight verses on Adam and Eve. Now, they're an important part, but they're in there as an example of a greater principle. Misconception number two, this is a chapter about free agency. I always challenge people when they say that to find the phrase free agency anywhere in the scriptures because it doesn't exist the phrase free agency does not exist in the scriptures. In fact, the word agency is never even mentioned in the Book of Mormon. It's in footnotes and headings, but no prophet anywhere uses the word agency. Of course, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist because it's in the Doctrine and Covenants and modern prophets testify of it. But this chapter is not about free agency, at least not exclusively. Misconception number three, this chapter has the shortest verse in the Book of Mormon. Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. That's not true. The shortest chapter in the Book of Mormon is 1 Nephi 2.15, And my father dwelt in a tent. And the shortest verse in all scripture is John 11.35, Jesus wept. So there you go. There's your scripture nerd for the day. 
<laughs> so if those are three misconceptions or two misconceptions and a scripture nerd uh, point, then here are two truths that help rectify those misconceptions. Number one, if the misconception is that this chapter is about Adam and Eve, the truth is this chapter is about Christ. And if you want proof, uh, look at verse 8. Lehi says, Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known to the inhabitants of the earth. And then he says what things he wants to make known. That they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the holy Messiah, who layeth down his life according to the flesh, and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. The first ten verses of this chapter are all about that Messiah. And the last five verses of this chapter are all about the Messiah. And then interspersed in there are verses about the Messiah. This is a chapter about Christ. The second truth is that if this isn't a chapter about agency, it is, however, a chapter about choice. Jacob's in kind of a unique position because he's got, in verse 1, Lehi mentions this, that he's had a lot of afflictions because of his older brothers. Laman and Lemuel provide kind of a bad example for him. Uh, however, he also has two other older brothers and Nephi and Sam that have provided very good examples. And so Nate, Jacob's kind of sandwiched in the middle. Um, however, Jacob has chosen a side. And Lehi points that out in verse 3. Your soul will be blessed. You'll dwell safely with your brother Nephi um, because your days have been spent in the service of God. And then one of my favorite recent phrases in Book of Mormon study is, Wherefore, I know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer. See, if this is a free agency chapter, we talk about this chapter as, I've got to choose, I've got to use my free agency so that I can earn heaven. Lehi makes it really clear right at the beginning, Jacob if you're blessed and if you are to dwell with your dwell in heaven, it's not because of your righteousness, it's because of his. Jesus Christ has made you free. In fact, he says that in the next verse. You've beheld his glory and salvation is free because of Jesus Christ. And so where does the choice part of this come into? Well, verse 27 or verse 26 the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil to act for themselves. So men are free. And then verse 27, he says, free to do what? Well, they are free to choose liberty. This is where we get the phrase free agency from, but it should probably be stated, not free agency, it's agency that leads to freedom. If I choose the Savior, if I choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, I can retain my freedom that Christ has given me. I am, however, free to choose captivity according to the captivity and power of the devil. And then Lehi pleads in verse 28, my sons, plural now, I'm not just talking to Jacob, I'm talking to all of you, I would that you would look to the great mediator and hearken unto his commandments, be faithful unto his words, and choose eternal life according to the will of his Holy Spirit. Will you please choose Christ 
because that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to be free and he wants you to be with him, but he can't force heaven on you. You have to choose it. You have to think about him and hearken to his counsels and follow him and want to be with him. And it wasn't until actually you just read that verse, you know, we had talked a little about this before, but it wasn't until you read that verse that I realized how connected these two points were. Because it says in verse 27, according to the captivity and power of the devil. And here we are talking about before putting on the righteousness to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. Awake and shake off the chains that bind you. Yeah. And we're protecting ourselves from those higher powers. We're not in, mm. in that type of a war. This is a, this is a higher, higher thing. And so anyway, what we, what we came to was these two points are points of protection and points of freedom. We're protected. We're protected and we're, free. and we're freed. Mm -hmm. And that is as we, as we choose the Savior, and as we do as he says and follow his commandments. Yeah. Now there's more in these chapters. We didn't even touch chapter 3, where Lehi talks to his son Joseph uh, in an effort to try and show Joseph, who he says in verse 1 has been born in the wilderness of his affliction and is, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, Joseph's the one that gets left behind at the grocery store because he's just the last <laughs> kid, right? Um, but chapter three is this beautiful chapter, again, that we sometimes focus a little too narrowly on. We think it's a chapter about Joseph Smith. Well, it is, but it's a bigger chapter about covenants and about how God remembers. Lehi's trying to prove to Joseph, his son, God remembers Joseph's. He remembers the last sons. And to prove it to you, let me tell you about a couple of Joseph's in our history uh, that have seen great things and have had great things promised to them. That's a study for your own, and hopefully you'll engage in it. And of course, chapter 4 Nephi Psalm would be another great one to study, and maybe even using these same lenses. But if I can just end with one verse to summarize what Krista just said. This is verse 30 in chapter 2, how, Nephi, or how Lehi ends uh, his letter to his son Jacob. I have spoken these few words unto you all, my sons, in the last days of my probation, and I have chosen the good part, according to the words of the prophet, and I have no other object save it be the everlasting welfare of your souls. Our whole purpose in this podcast, um, I think originally it was to, to try this new idea that came to us, and we've gone through different stages of nervousness and planning and worry, but really our desire is, is, is Lehi's desire, and and it's the desire that you have too. We just want to help each other uh, love God, be free, and win this war. And I think these two principles we've discussed today can really help us do that. We've got a teaching tip for you today as well. And I like this one. Um, if we, we talked in our study tip about pondering. So our challenge to you with the teaching tip for whoever you teach, whatever age group, is to give your students time to ponder. I think the challenge in this is so often when we teach, we tend to have in mind a question and then we want, we also have the answers, the right, quote unquote, right answers in mind. If we give people a good question and we allow them time in the scriptures, in a scripture block to say, what do you think? And then give them time to ponder and read it during your lesson. And then 
things are opened up. That's where revelation happens is when we are in the scriptures together and taking time to ponder and read together. And I think great things happen. I have seen that as I have tried that out in, in teaching and I teach early society right now. So it's kind of easy to do that, but, um, it works. It really works. I think there's a great power in that. And I think taking it even one step further of, uh, asking people to ponder their lives. Some great questions you could ask with this block, for example, if you were teaching second Nephi one through five to a group or a family, uh, you might posit a couple of places and ask them questions that they're not going to answer to the group and then give them time to ponder it. For example, if you're in second Nephi two and you're talking about choosing the savior, you might pause and say, how close are you to the savior? And what choices are you making that are drawing you close to him? What choices are you making that aren't? And then stop and let them think, let them write. Or if you're in chapter one, what are some things you need to stop doing? And what are some things you need to start doing? And then stop and don't request answers. Let them write, let them think about it, let them plan and ponder. And those are the moments when nobody's talking when God can start talking and start instructing. And that's how we really allow the Spirit to be the teacher in our classrooms. Well, thank you guys so much for being with us this episode. We have loved this study, uh, and we have so loved your comments and uh, your efforts in supporting this and in spreading it. Please reach out to us if you have additional questions or comments. We would love to make you part of our episodes, and we will see you next episode.